This is the Comstock Report podcast. We are strong advocates for the American family farm and your top source for the agriculture markets. And now, here's your host, Mackenzie Johnston. Welcome to this week's market recap. Today is Friday, March 10th. We're going to be chatting with Comstock's very own Eric Ralph. He is the branch manager at our home office up in Royal Iowa. And of course, he is also one of our brokers. What were some of the highlights from Wednesday's USDA crop production and WASDE report? Well, I think the biggest takeaway for a lot of people on the, on the initial rub was the dramatic reduction in the Argentine soybeans. The USDA had been at a 41 million ton production level, and private estimates were looking for that to be reduced to about a 36.6. And USDA was much more aggressive than they generally are and dropped straight to a 33. So right off the bat, we wipe 8 million tons off, but then they come back and say, well, we're not going to have the crush demand in the U.S., and so then that balances out the global stocks, and so you end up with what ultimately is is kind of a flat line end result, but the numbers alone were bullish, uh, no question, and, and the market reacted initially and immediately just faded away for the rest of the day. So I think that was a telltale sign of where we're at in the grains, where you get bullish input and you can't really sustain a bullish reaction. And why is that? I mean, there there's other bullish news that came out later in the week and the market didn't really react to that either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Rosario Grain Exchange comes out and they've got even a lower number. And it just seems like the production estimates for Argentina, it's a, it's a race to the bottom. But the question, why is that? Well, when you're in a bear market, you you don't get the appropriate reaction to bullish news. That's one of the first signs that you'll see. And and the soybeans haven't really been in a bear market, but the grains overall are, and certainly the macro picture overall is. And so now we're starting to see soybeans be sympathetic to some of these other things that are going on, and we hadn't seen that really. They'd been marching to the beat of their own drum, doing their own thing. Now all of a sudden they're starting to act like they're getting a little soft as well. So bears watching for now, no damage done, but got to keep an eye on it. Are you saying we're going to see the soybeans drop here in the coming weeks? Well, I can't say that we're going to, but if we don't get some of these other items turned around, I, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if we did. The soybeans remain primarily range-bound, and, and really until you take out some lower numbers here, you're, you're not changing that. 1480 is pretty significant support in the May beans. So you get a close below $15, you're probably not going to mount much of a challenge to the 1480 mark. So for now, all is well, but it sure seems more suspect than we have for the last several months, really. But certainly in the last recent, you know, what, two weeks now since we've been kind of struggling in the corn and the wheat's just been capitulating completely. Yeah, let's talk about wheat. They've basi- The wheat market has basically collapsed, even though the drought here in the U.S. is pretty substantial and a lot of wheat country, um, their crop ratings are absolutely horrendous. Why is the market not reacting positively to that? Well, here again, you've got just an overall bearish outlook for grains and we will hit on some of those topics here throughout this conversation, but exports are big. Now, wheat exports aren't a long ways behind projected levels, but projected levels were not the greatest either. 
And so you look at recently there was a, a sale of wheat made by Russia to Egypt and you know, you look at the price of the wheat and the price of the transport and you, you do all the math and, and try to compare that to what that would have cost had they bought U.S. origin wheat. Well, by the time you get the freight on it out of the U.S. and get it over to Egypt, we'd have had to have been selling them about $3.40 wheat. So we are completely uncompetitive in the Far East. And I, I don't know if we're going to be able to really sustain much market momentum if we remain that far out of the ball game. So what's the status of the Black Sea grain deal? So the safe corridor is, it's a talking point, but at this juncture, I don't know that it's much more than that. The nuts and bolts of it are, it's set to renew on the 19th of March. It automatically renews unless one of the participating parties puts a stop to it. Well, obviously, Ukraine's not going to put a stop to it. It's the only somewhat outlet they have for their grain. So that leaves Russia and and Russia so far has not come forth and said, no, we're not doing it because of this or that. And so here we are, March 10th, and we're growing ever closer to the 19th. We haven't seen anything to pump the brakes yet. And so at this point, I think people are, are leaning towards, well, it's probably going to renew now that buys another 120-day extension unless they do something between now and the 19th. So you know, we're, we're kind of kind of getting down to a fairly thin time frame here if they're going to make any any move to to put a stop to it. And of course their their hope is that they can get sanctions removed, but uh the sanctions that are in existence so far haven't really stopped their primary products from moving anyway. They're still finding buyers mostly in the likes of China and India for for the majority of their products and and so they're still moving along and and, uh, able to generate revenue that way. So this Black Sea grain deal, is this one of the factors that is playing into the bearish grain market here in the United States? It is. It's one of the factors. It's more impactful to the wheat market. Wheat is their primary thing. And so that's that's where some of the the early pressure came from. I think for for quite some time, there was the general mindset amongst traders was that we were going to see, basically see the safe corridor come to an end. They weren't going to renew, and, and they weren't going to be able to come to terms. And then I think the fine print came through, and everybody realized that it automatically renewed unless it was ended. So that was a bit of a surprise, and that's where you started to see the shift in mentality. Even though you know we get Southern Plains condition ratings for Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, and they're horrible, uh, your, your good to excellent numbers are abysmal, and your poor to very poor or the highest we've ever seen and for this time of year. And we're not even into the heart of spring yet, let alone the heat season before harvest. So, you know, you talk to a producer in western Kansas, they're, they're scratching their head going, why is this wheat going down? Because they see what's going on in their backyard. But by the same token, I think the SRW wheat country and the eastern Corn Belt, you know, Illinois, Kentucky, those areas, they're looking out their door going, man, this is, this is going to be pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have these very conflicting things, but that's also being shown in the spread. You look at KC versus Chicago wheat, and and the spreads hold out at over a dollar, and favoring the KC because of the lack of production that's anticipated there. But we still, you know, U.S. Gulf wheat is still high priced on the global market just simply because of our cost of transport all over the world. So with the recent drop in the corn market, can we expect farmers to make a switch to soybeans? I think you're going to see a little bit of that, but this is a debate that goes on this time of year every year. And barring some kind of natural 
fundamental reason, that being, you know, the likes of drought, flood, rootworm, whatever the case may be, guys will try or primarily stick to their rotation. The soybeans did a horrible job of trying to buy acres early on. And I still think even at today's prices, when you put a pencil to it, you're going to see that corn is still favored from a number standpoint, even with this recent drop-off, because the beans have dropped too, although they haven't near kept pace with the with the corn on a percentage basis, you're still looking more likely to plant corn. So I, I still think corn's winning that battle. And in places like Illinois and Iowa, guys like to grow corn. They just do. And so the ones that have had rootworm issues, yeah, they may favor some beans, and this may push them over the edge to get a little more acreage of beans put in. But uh, all in all, I think I think once guys make up their mind, they pretty well stick to it. So today we finally saw the corn market turn around um, after quite a bit of losses this week. Is this going to carry over into next week? I sure hope so. This is a sell the rally market. We are no longer in a buy the dip. You know, I'm talking to people all day long and they're seeing corn's down. Well, is it, is this an opportunity to be buying? So all week I've I've been kind of, no, 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 let's see. And there was arguments to be made that May corn needed to hold 606 to 612. Well, yesterday we made a low of 610 and a quarter. Today we make a low of 606 and three quarter. That's getting right in there. Mm-hmm. And so we were in the thick of pretty good support. That did attract enough buying to give us a boost into the close. Hopefully, we can compound that buying, get a little more move higher, but all this is going to be is a retracement rally and another opportunity to make more sales. That's what the market's going to be for some time now. Everybody's still eyeing that March 31st planning intentions, and the numbers are looking to be bearish no matter where you look at them from. Uh, from the USDA forum numbers to some of the private estimates coming out, we're, we're looking at monster acres with a monster yield. Those are the projections. And so everybody's trying to align their cards accordingly. The cattle market, obviously today it was down here on Friday, but it did some work earlier this week and continued to grind higher. How high are we going to go? I think we're seeing highs out in these deferred contracts. Now, it becomes more a question of timing than numbers. You know, we, we saw the April 24 contract challenge the 175 area already. I, I think we're going to go make a new all-time high sometime in the cash market, but traders need to keep in mind, and particularly those in the in the industry need to keep in mind that we have been in this bull market with no real correction. And so two things need to happen, in my opinion. You have to protect yourself. These are levels that you can lock up some really intense profits. Anybody who is running their numbers on these current turns of cattle that they're moving right now versus what they did two years ago should be realizing that. But unfortunately, we get into a, a rut of it's higher, it's higher, it's higher, it's higher. And then, and then mentally, you just get to a place where you think, well, it's, I wonder how much higher we're going to be this week mm-hmm. and next week. And, and it just keeps going and going. And so here we are with a market that's been uh, flat to down for the last two days. And now we get numbers for this week. And for the first time in quite a while, we're steady cash. I mean, we're fully steady, but we didn't put on a dollar or two or three or four like we have for the last two, however many weeks in a row. And so we're starting to see some of those signs. Box beef shifts are starting to tell us kind of the same thing, that we could be due for a meaningful correction in that market. It's not like we're going to throw it in the trash and go to, go ahead for the gutter. But 
we are probably going to see some kind of meaningful correction and I think guys for the sake of being able to sleep at night need to have something in place to keep their their market protected. The feeder cattle markets just continue to surge in some of these livestock barns, um, for example, through Nebraska, Valentine, they had an incredible sale yesterday. What guys are paying for feeder cattle right now is astronomical. Is the live cattle market going to keep up with these gains uh, so cattle feeders are able to continue to keep their head above water paying these high prices for feeders? Well, I think we've already kind of touched on the corn market, and that might hold the answer to all of it. Right now, it pencils even when you're paying those kind of numbers based on what the futures market is showing us. But if the futures market sucks $15 out between now and the time we get them fed, then we got a problem, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if we're feeding, you know, okay, let's say we're not feeding seven fifty or eight dollar corn anymore. We're feeding six fifty to seven dollar corn in places like Western Kansas, Western Nebraska. You know, the Panhandle of Texas basis is higher there. The corn's more expensive. So, are we going to have five dollar corn in the fall? Well, we don't know. So that could be an offsetting factor that makes it pencil out in the end. But right now, all things being equal, and we have to work off of the numbers we have currently, if the futures hold up and the, and the cash comes to those levels, we'll be all right. I don't personally see that we're going to stack $15 on the cash market between now and fall. And so I, I don't see that working. And hopefully the corn market doesn't crash to a point where it does make it work because then we're all in trouble. Yeah, for certain. Things get so out of whack. Oh, it's it's incredible. Once you start that downhill slide, and, and really in the last 24 hours, I've fielded more calls with concern about the cattle complex than I probably have in the last four months. Everybody's kind of hitting the same spot at the same time, it seems. That's never good either because what you end up with is a lot of guys that have just been kind of riding the wind, so to speak, start finally trying to do some risk management, but they all do it at the same time and they all go all in. Well, you get that much hedging coming to the market all at the same time and that, that, that'll that kill it in itself, you know. What did we see cash cattle trade for this week? Uh, 165 live, uh, 265 dress. That's going to set the market. We did see some lower numbers early in the week, saw some 262 dress trade in Iowa. We saw some, uh, what, 162 or three, 163 uh, live cattle in Kansas trade earlier in the week. And I don't, I can't wrap my head around lower numbers early in the week, but it happened. And Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so everybody was fearful, well, are we going to suck $2 off right off the bat? But at the same time, you had some other stuff happening that was keeping the market propped up, and so it didn't really impact the futures that much. Well, now we've we've got established trade, and and although, as usual, the negotiated numbers are light, but it's going to be fully steady at, at the 165 and 265 marks. Our nation's economy seems to be crumbling. It has been a rough, rough week. Uh, the stock market, we're seeing banks having problems. How is our nation's economy impacting our commodity markets? Well, the cattle have always been sympathetic to to try to keep it uncomplicated. They've always been sympathetic to a lower stock market. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the bulk of what we saw today. So the the overall market versus the economy, it's it definitely factors in. And I try to explain it to people. Uh, it's a little bit of Robin from Peter to pay Paul because you get these managed money funds, the likes of Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan and all that, you know, they're, they're heavy in the stock market. They're also heavy in the commodity market. 
And so they may have losses on one side that they need to balance out with profits from the other. And so you see where they may have, you know, they may have bought corn at levels where they're holding a nice profit. They may have bought, who knows, crude oil or natural gas. doesn't really matter. But they start sustaining losses on one side of the scale, and then they go pull from the other side to offset that. And so then you see this exodus of cash from everything uh, just to cover losses. And oftentimes when they get to the point where they're doing that, it's just it just becomes mass liquidation. Is there anything else uh, you want to touch on before I let you go today? Um, I guess I would say one of the things that I've been kind of scratching my head about with regards to feeder cattle prices is what's the driver that's getting guys out to the barns and just getting so aggressive with these purchases. And I spent a couple of days this week down in northern Missouri near the St. Louis area and in Washington, Missouri, meeting with a, a couple of groups down there that are all cattle producers. Missouri is very cattle strong and a lot of them are cow calf guys. And so while I was down there, something really struck me in, in Northwest Iowa. I haven't seen the grass in front of my house since the middle of December because it's been covered in snow the entire time. And so I'm sitting here thinking who would want to buy feeder cattle this time of year. Then I get down into Missouri and I'm seeing green grass that's ready for a lawnmower. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is something that we haven't had at this point in the year for several years. And so there's definitely some enthusiasm based on seeing some pasture conditions that we haven't had for a while in some parts of the country. Yeah, there's a lot of enthusiasm out there, sometimes more than more than there should be sometimes, you'd think, with these high prices. Oh, absolutely. And that's that's what we, we talked about in in a couple of meetings that we had down there. You know, I said... I said, you, you guys have a golden opportunity to lock up profit, whether you sell the cattle at those prices or not. And, and so we're, we're trying through futures and options trading and LRP insurance to at least know that we can sleep at night. We're going to make money no matter what happens. And if it keeps going higher, that's, you know, a best case scenario. And so we'll try, see what we can do. For a more complete version of the Comstock Report with hedging strategies and trade recommendations, subscribe on our website at Comstock.com or reach out to one of our risk management specialists about how we can help you protect your profits. Futures trading involves risk. The risk of loss in trading futures and or options is substantial, and each investor and or trader must consider whether this is a suitable investment. Past performance is not indicative of future results. 